We're in the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. And God's word says this, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Please be seated. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Again, popping up in this passage. It seems like however we can slice and dice the book of Acts, uh, the, the constant is the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that that didn't stop with Acts, that your Holy Spirit is alive and working and acting even now. And so we pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to help us as we interact with your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've got two favorite radio stations that I listen to on Sirius XM these days. One is, they're both, I think they're both app only. Uh, One is Chucho Valdez, not Cuba and beyond, but the proper pronunciation, Cuba and beyond. And that is wonderful to listen to that Cuban music as it's spun out. And sometimes he sounds like a a Chick Corea, and sometimes it sounds like a, a, a... a club in Havana in the 40s, and they're singing, and it's wonderful. And I was telling Paul, I don't even know what they're saying because I don't know Spanish, but I want to be there. I want to hear this and enjoy this. But the new one, the new favorite, is one they call the Big Easy. And it's exactly what you would think it is. It's, a, it's New Orleans, and it's jazz music, and it's, it's a, a whole collection of, of, of music. Uh, people like the Dirty Dozen Brass Band and... Uh, uh, Clifton Chenier and some of those people that, that you kind of know of when you think of Mardi Gras and they show little clips and they'll throw something in the background. It's that kind of music, Zydeco type music. And I can play that and I can study and I can have that at a low volume and it doesn't distract me because I don't know all the songs, but yet I caught myself singing along with one of them. And I caught myself singing and maybe you guys could tell me if you sang the lyrics to this song. Uh, if you had a dumb uncle or an immature older cousin who taught you this. I was studying and I started singing. I'm looking over my dead dog rover that I overran with the mower. You ever sing that? <laughs> and I said, that's not the words to that song. That's what we sang as little kids thinking we were funny. I'm looking over a four-leaf clover. And I said, I don't even know the words to that song. <laughs> and so I looked them up. And it's a, it's a pretty good little song. Uh, the, the guy's talking about a three-leaf clover, and he, in, in the song, the, the right lyrics, not the little kid lyrics, uh, he says, one leaf of that clover is, is sunshine, and one leaf of that clover is rain, and one leaf of that clover are the roses that grow in the lane. And basically he's saying, life is good. Life is pretty good. You've got your mixture of sunshine, you've got your mixture of rain, and combined, you get your roses, and you have a pretty good life. But he discovered the four-leaf clover that he'd been overlooking. 
And that, as you can imagine, was that special woman in his life. And boy, he'd been overlooking her, and that's what made a good life even have more meaning and even enjoy the other three leaves on the clover. So I was glad I had that song. I'm glad I stopped and thought and looked that up. And I was thinking about even in our own lives, even in our own lives, and you think about what we would call common grace and how God sends rain and sunshine and gives these good things. And yet there's something, there's that fourth leaf. Think about Christianity and think about what we have in our religion. One leaf of general religion, not Christian, not true biblical Christianity, but one thing is just the moral code. And, and, and when people had that and they, they said, there's a right and there's a wrong, we get this from the Bible from these values that, 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 that God's given us. And people knew what was wrong, and when they did what was wrong, they, they understood that that was the wrong thing, and there was just a kind of a common uh, sense of morality found in the Ten Commandments. Another part of religion, a, part, a, part, a good thing about, about it, even if there was no Christianity, is just the fellowship that people have. And through Scripture, and in, in our days, in our lives, uh, there were these churches and people would go to it. And they might be different churches and different denominations. As C.S. Lewis referred to it as, as one house with many rooms. And people were in these different rooms. And we'd kind of meet in the common room. And, and that's what we had at one time. It wasn't true Christianity just because there was fellowship and just because there was biblical morality. That doesn't mean it was Christian in the biblical sense. But it was good. It was that part of that three-leaf clover uh, the third thing that I wrote down would be called the discipline of religion. Uh, the church calendar, uh, Sunday as a day of rest, uh, Easter and Christmas and, and the things that followed. And you could count on these things and there was a commonality. When these things exist in a culture and when they existed in ours, not biblical Christianity, I'm not saying that, but when those things were there, prominent, overwhelmingly part of the culture. There was a stability and there was an ability for all people to thrive. I thought about John Adams when he talked about the founding of this country. And he said, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. It was there and there was an understood uh, not biblical Christianity as, as far as Jesus Christ alone as a savior of sins. I'm not saying that, but there was something moral. There was something there, and that constitution plugged into there. When we lost that as a nation, uh, who knows about the future of the constitution anyway? If Adams was right. So again, I'm not saying we were ever a Christian nation in the biblical sense of the word Christian, but there were some common moral principles. Right and wrong were defined in biblical language. There was stability. Currently, I'm listening to a book called April 1865, and it's talking about that key month in our nation's history when the war ended, Lincoln was shot. How did 
people come back together? How did this nation come back? And I'm convinced. I don't know what the author is going to say because I'm only a quarter of the way through the book. It's an interesting book uh, as it is. I don't know what its con- his conclusions will be. But I will say the thing that helped a nation survive even a deadly, terrible time like that was there was some core common something or other that people compare our days today and, and the rift that we have. Uh, that's not existent today. What's going to happen? I don't know. But I do know that those three things are not enough. The four-leaf clover in Christianity, the, the, the wild card, so to speak, the, the factor that makes Christianity truly Christian, the one that we overlook so much, even as we do our own uh, church things and, and go through our own uh, wonderful church motions, is the Holy Spirit. I do like uh, at least the, the verse, I don't, or the chorus, I don't understand the verses, but when Van Morrison sang, behind the ritual, you find the spiritual. Uh, there's something about that. And as we do the, the ritual stuff, there is a spiritual something that's there if you're Christians. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to listen this morning and think about how we walk in our world, keeping in step with the Spirit, as the Bible says. Uh, the factor for Christians, for true Christians, that four-leaf clover, that fourth thing that makes all those good things even better is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Think in terms of spirituality. Think in terms of, of you being a blood-bought uh, child of God who has been entered by the Holy Spirit, who has a spiritual uh, capacity to see beyond this physical. You have stability from a common moral code. You have stability from neighborliness and fellowship, a sense that we're all one family. But that breaks down. Yeah, we're all in this together, right? Well, uh, when they want you to be, you know. Um, but think about when, if it was really that way. Religious worship. Now, consider the Holy Spirit again in our text and the Holy Spirit leading. How do we see the Holy Spirit at work in this passage? Remember, Paul and Barnabas had this dust up, this kerfuffle, this big fight, and Paul took Silas and Barnabas took John Mark and they went, and it was kind of a hard time even last week contemplating that, but now they're on mission. And there's failure. They went to Asia. The only thing the Bible can say is the Holy Spirit didn't let us preach in Asia. You go to the next place, Bithynia. All the thing the Bible can say is the Spirit of the Lord wouldn't let us speak there. And if I'm Paul, I'm thinking, boy, I really messed up. It's all on me. I, shouldn't, I, would, I would be rethinking, why isn't God working? It's something about me. Some of us do this on Father's Day. Why don't my kids embrace the things that matter the very most to me? I messed up. I screwed up. I messed up. I, well, who knows what and why. But we're pretty quick to put our, our attention on ourselves for a reason why things aren't going good and less uh, able to look and say, what's God's big picture and what's God doing? 
when we follow the Holy Spirit, we say, what's God up to? How do we see the Holy Spirit working in this passage? I put down three areas because they're, they're, they're there. We see the open and closed doors. We see Holy Spirit working through circumstance and rational thinking. We see God working personally and corporately. Think first of the open and closed doors. Verse 6. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. We don't understand how they were forbidden, but forbidden means that. Can't talk about Jesus. Can't give the good news about Jesus to all those people in Asia. What? But they went through it. Something happened. Doesn't elaborate. Maybe in heaven we'll care. Maybe we'll ask. Maybe it'll be an interesting little footnote about what happened here on earth to them. And we read about it in the Bible. There may be a time. I don't know how heaven's going to work. But for whatever reason, the facts are, Holy Spirit said no. No Asia. Keep going. They attempted to go to Bithynia. It says, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them in verse 7. Some people have have said, why did it say the Holy Spirit in verse 6 and the spirit of Jesus in verse 7? Why did the author write that differently? Um, Some, like me, say it's just interchangeably used. Some thought maybe through Silas, who we saw was a prophet, maybe Silas spoke through the Spirit of the Lord and said something. I just think it's interchangeable. I think God's telling us there, uh, it's a Trinitarian reference, uh, that, that, that Father, Son, and Spirit are working together. So you can say the Holy Spirit forbid us here, Spirit of the Lord here. That's God. Now, biographies, people writing a book about themselves. Humanly, do you trust them? Some guy gets done, signs a million-dollar, six-figure deal to write a book about his life. He's going to tell it from his perspective, and he may not tell the truth all, all the time. Some of them just for fun. I, I, I just read a book about Satchel Page, and Satchel Page is one of the most interesting baseball characters. He, he'd be the one I would love to sit and talk to the most, I think. Rick actually told me, he said, you would like, you'd be interested in Satchel Page. He was listening to something about him on, on old-time radio. He said, I thought about you. And I said, yeah, that, this guy was interesting. Well, he made up some whoppers. He liked to pull legs. He was a fun-loving guy. He'd be the guy we would love to have uh, sit in our living room and just tell us stories. But they weren't always true. Of course not. He was Satchel Page. He could talk about, you know, the, you know, the, the 10 miles he walked to school through snow uphill both ways, you know, home and back and all that. He could tell that stuff. Okay, who's the author of the Bible? Ultimately, got Luke writing Acts, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, God who cannot lie, when he writes his biography, he's telling the truth. Holy Spirit didn't let them speak in Asia. That puzzles us. We're going to get to that at the end of this sermon. Why could that possibly be? How could that be true? But the fact of the matter is, it was a closed door. And then we see an open door. Paul having the dream and the Macedonians saying, come over and help us. Doors closed, doors open. Asia was closed. Europe, 
which they didn't have, talk about Europe at that time, but that was Europe, Macedonia, he was calling. That's when the gospel first went into Europe. How does this apply to our own lives? Don't we pray for and acknowledge open doors and closed doors when it comes to careers? We can pray for Abigail with her thing. God, if this is a bad job, if there's somebody there that's going to be harmful to her, if there's somebody uh, in another place that can be spiritually helpful and career helpful, God, please close that door. Please open that door. Don't we say that about all of our jobs, every, everything? God, we trust you. We, we're, from our human perspective, we don't know. But God, we trust you. Close doors, open doors. We'll walk through them. We'll follow you. We acknowledge that when it comes to church growth. And when we truly do that, and the pressure is off of us, but us to follow the Holy Spirit, then we can go with great confidence like these group of men went in to Macedonia. And trust God to close the door. Pray for God to close the door. How many times have you prayed, and you're right, when you say, God, I, this seems right to me, but thank you, God, that you're there, that you love me even more than I love myself. And God, thank you that you will close the door and help me to accept that closed door. A relationship ends, for instance. Garth Brooks. I was sitting in a dentist chair 20 years ago. Garth Brooks has a song called, I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. It's the funniest song you could think of. He's talking about how uh, he was dating this girl back in high school and he couldn't wait to marry. God, please put us together. God, please keep us together. God, please keep us together. And God didn't answer that prayer. And then he saw her 20 years later after he's married to the, the one that he loved. And he said, I thank God for unanswered prayers. Thank God for that closed door. Thank God for the open doors. Pray for those things and trust God. If you're a Christian, you can do that. If you're not a Christian, what do you trust? Chance? Fate? Make your own luck? How terrible, how hard it would be to not be a Christian and not to have a God of the open and closed doors. Henry Blackaby, Southern Baptist, wrote a book called Experiencing God. And what I loved the most about that book, and I was talking to my Baptist pastor friends on Thursday, and they said, I know what you're going to say. They said, it's the same, it's the thing I took most from that book. I said, me too. See where God's at work and join him in his work. Don't try and make your own plans. And then say, God, join me in my work. See where God's at work and join God in God's work. Open and closed doors. God closed, God opened. Also with the Spirit's leading, you see circumstances and rational thinking combined in following the Spirit's leading. Circumstances. Uh, This was a circumstance. In the night vision, he saw a Macedonian. He's, He's frustrated. He's pulling his hair out. He's saying, Boy, the first missionary journey, people were coming to the Lord. Uh, boy, maybe, maybe Barnabas was right. Maybe Silas, you know, he's starting to think these things, perhaps. Uh, self-doubts. And then he sees this Macedonian saying, come over here and help us. There was a circumstance. It took John Calvin to point out to me that it wasn't necessarily a dream. 
I always thought it was a dream, presented as a dream. It was a vision in the night. Maybe it was a dream. Maybe he just went into some kind of a trance. However it was and whatever it was, he saw this supernatural thing. Sometimes God uses things that don't make sense to us. It's not all the time. We tell people, stay in your Bible, read your Bible, pray to God. But boy, God uses circumstances and uses things, maybe just memories of something or a friend. You could hear a song playing and think about a friend. I got a friend, he, he loved two songs, Brandy and he loved Heart of Gold. And when I ever hear those on the radio, I, I, I pray for him and think about him. And I'm like, ooh, Neil Young's Heart of Gold just played. I wonder how Tim's doing. i got to call him. And that's a God God can use things like that, right? We don't limit God. Near-death experiences. So I got permission to, to use this. God uses things. We talked about this. You know, we, we say they're not coincidences. They're God incidences. So there's this couple, and I won't... I won't tell you their names, but their initials are Steve and Claudia. Um, oh, Steve and Claudia were together saying, you know what? The church we're in is not the right church for us. There were some theological things. There was time to, to, to really look. Uh, they went to the search engine, and we don't pay money to be first on any of these things. I don't want to give any of those people any of my money ever. But we, our church came up first, I understand, or toward the top. Anyway, whatever it was, we were on the first screen. Steve tunes in. He could have picked any sermon to sleep to. <laughs> Thank God it wasn't nap time or God gave him a supernatural energy or whatever. But of all the sermons Steve picked, this is weird. He picked one that I started out my sermon with talking about uh, Puddle Glum the Marsh Wiggle from the Chronicles of Narnia. That wasn't really in my original thought to do. I kind of added that as the last as I was looking for some kind of a first thing. But that happens to be the sermon. Steve happened to have read that book to his girls just a couple days before. It's like, ooh. And he and Claudia looked at each other and they said, maybe this is a sign from God or something, right? And, and of course, there was God at work. I, you can't say there are coincidences in a in a lucky type of a way, but there are all sorts of God incidences, and the true definition of coincidence is God incidents. God taking this incident and this incident and this incident, and there's a reason for it. I said to my, we met my new sister-in-law. Chris met her on a Christian dating site. And I said, okay, so, Robin, what was it about Chris's profile that made you stop at that one and, and hit your checkbox or whatever it is? I said, I know it couldn't have been his picture. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't the picture. So he's uglier than I am. She goes, he listed as a passage Psalm 1. And I've always loved Psalm 1. And Psalm 1, and I just saw that that jumped out at me. That's a God incidence, isn't it? Something like that. Doesn't God work in those things? Now, she still had to meet him. They finally arranged, and she picked, he let her pick the place. They were going to go look at 
Christmas lights or something down in Chattanooga, and, and she got cold feet and stayed in the car, and he finally said something to her like, I'm going to walk into that restaurant across the street. You can follow me if you want. If not, that's okay, but you're safe. Uh, and she followed him in. Now, God used the Macedonian call. He used the vision. God gave that Macedonian just to Paul, but what did Paul do? It was not just circumstances, but it was rational thinking. There was some thought process along with it, with his team. They didn't just say, oh, there's a supernatural sign from God and go off anywhere contrary to what Scripture says. These things that God will never lead you to you know, kill somebody in the name of the Lord. That's a violation of all of Scripture. These ways that God moves in a supernatural type of a way are not to become the 67th book of the Bible. There's no contradiction of Scripture. But God does use these circumstances to reinforce, to lead us in our lives. I've told some of you, it's been a while, about when I was a potato chip guy. And I'm down there. I've graduated from Bible college, and I'm working in Pensacola seven years on a, on a box truck, a Frito-Lay truck, and I'm working in the store putting my chips on the rack. And, and you notice the customers that come through, and you see who's there. And, and this was weird. Some young man, like, started toward me, hesitated, went away, started back toward me, hesitated. He, he was just like, and I'm like, what's this guy going to do? Is he going to complain that there's no more chili cheese Fritos on the shelf? Or, or what's, he, what's his deal? He, he wants to confront me about something. And this guy came up and he handed me one of these gospel tracts. Uh, four things God wants you to know or something like that. Romans Road, one of those things about that I was a sinner and needed a savior and that Jesus died. And I think it was more uh, baptistic in its way that he told me Jesus died for my sins. Well, he... He did. It was true, but how could he know that about me? But we don't, we don't understand all that. But he gave me that little gospel tract. Then I had a decision to make. I said, oh, I know all that stuff. And I said, no, thank you. I, I knew even though I was not really living for the Lord at that time, I knew what he was about, and I admired him overcoming his fears and following the Lord's leading. And I took it, and I said, thank you. Thought maybe it might embolden him that a potato chip man was receptive. And I read it like I said I would. And you know what? God actually used that to help me in my own spiritual lethargy. A God's leading. And that guy, I could just see the prayer. No, God's telling me to do this. No, I'm afraid. No, God's telling me to do this. No, I'm afraid. What's this guy going to say to me? Might have been the same guy, and there is time, as I said in my parenthesis. So, so this is a funniest story. James, good old southern boy, came in, and maybe the same guy was emboldened. He started leaving gospel tracts on potato chip racks all around town or something. Because James comes into the warehouse very irreverently, very mockingly about God. He goes, hey, everybody, look, I got a free ticket. Look at my free ticket. And everybody's like, what, what, what? And Scott, the Mormon warehouse guy, is saying, what? And I'm saying, what? He goes, free ticket to heaven. 
look at this. He said, I was just putting chips on a shelf, and I say this thing says free ticket, and it's not just a free ticket to the circus. It's my free ticket to heaven. <laughs> and the Mormon guy says, James, if you read the fine print, you'll see that it expires the moment you die. And I, <laughs> I had an angle on James's face. And James went from joy and, and hilarity to almost turning white. And there was a conviction from that guy who also didn't know the Lord. Uh, following the Lord's leading. A young man with the courage followed. God leads us through his Holy Spirit with open doors and closed doors. He leads us through circumstances and rational thinking. And he leads us personally and corporately. Paul didn't say, hey guys, new plan, Macedonia. Why? God spoke to me, follow me. Uh, Luke incorporates, uh, this is the first time in Acts, where it goes from a third-person telling to a second-person telling. We. We went then. We did this. We chose together. Look at the verse. It says, um, verse 10, When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. We as a group made a conclusion, and we went. Greek word, uh, three, three letters that start, S-U-M, sum. Sum means with. Uh, we get the word symp- symphony from it. As opposed to a solo concert, you get a symphony. Uh, together we chose, together we concluded. Uh, the word sympathy uh, would, would be a derivative of that, where you have empathy with another, together and with. He says, together we Decided to go. Paul made decisions as part of a team. Conclusion to this part of the message is this. The Holy Spirit still moves. Spirit is active in the lives of God's people. Spirit is active in your life if you are a Christian. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The canon of Scripture is closed The sign gifts serve their purpose and have ceased. But you are not left only with just a literary intellectual guide. You are left with a living Holy Spirit to walk with you to help interpret that guide. I have the fortune or misfortune, I think it's probably a fortune, to be married to a Trekkie. And I've seen... (laughs) Enough, I've seen the trouble with triples. I've seen all those things. Uh, Paula will roll through those things. And I say, as, as you're watching through those things, she and Lily, Cobb, uh, Next Generation, all those things, I said, the one episode I want to, you, you'd stop at and call me for, my favorite of the old Star Trek, is the one that's it's kind of making fun of Christians is what it's doing. It's the gangster one. Remember Ox Mix and the book, and you've got to follow the book. And somebody had gone to this planet, and they left a book of, of uh, Al Capone and the Gangster Wars, and so they all acted it out, and they did everything by the book. If the book says it, they did it. If it didn't, it didn't, and they looked like ridiculous. And that was Gene Roddenberry making fun of Christians doing everything by the book. The book says that we do it. It was, it was, a, it was a dig at us. It was a, a, well, a well-done dig, so you can watch it and enjoy it. Um, that's not Christianity. We are not, yes, we are left with a book of God's word, absolutely God's word, but we have a Holy Spirit living in us. And we can read and we can talk and we can live according to God's word. 
because of God's Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is still active. Jesus is still present with us, truly present with us. When we go to the table, we, we, don't, we don't just commemorate dead Jesus. We think about what Jesus did, but we think about living Jesus, really present with us through his Holy Spirit, bodily coming back for us as a promise, alive Jesus. And God still rolls stones away and he still brings spiritually dead people back to life. And if you walk out of here and you say, wow, there is something about being a Christian. Not only do I have a book that God gave me, which is true, which informs me and guides me, but I have the Holy Spirit living in my life and I can walk spiritually and live spiritually, then you've got the point of this passage. Quickly as we close, two problems that this passage raises. First problem is this. Did God, quote unquote, choose the Macedonians for salvation and the passing over of those in Bithynia? God said, go here, and, and, and didn't let him talk to the Asians. There's really only one conclusion you can come to. Either the Bible doesn't mean what it says it means, or the answer is yes. Yeah. You can go to Asia? No. Holy Spirit didn't let us. Go to Bithynia? No. Spirit of the Lord wouldn't let us. Here's how Calvin put it. That sounds hard. Boy, it sounds like a bunch of mean old Calvinists, doesn't it? But it's not. Calvin said this. He said, Wherefore, let us know that the gospel springs and issues out to us out of the sole fountain of mere grace. Salvation comes from God, not from us. And yet God does not want or need a just reason why he offered his gospel to some and passeth over other some. God doesn't have to give you and me a reason why God does what God does, even when it comes to salvation. We don't know. Calvin continues to say, but I say that the reason lies, or lieth, he said, lies hid in his secret counsel. And then he says, in the mean season, like in our hard times in our life, when things are really bad, in the mean season that some of us go through, in the mean season, let the faithful know that they were called freely when others were set aside, lest they take to themselves which is due to the mercy of God alone. And in the rest, whom God rejected for no manifest cause, let them learn to wonder at the deep depth of his judgment, which they may not seek out. In other words, it's all in the mind of God. And when you're having your hard time, don't say, well, maybe I didn't really mean it. I wasn't sincere enough when I did this. Maybe I'm causing my... No. You are God's child. If God saved you, God sought you, God wanted you, God caused the gospel to be presented to you and you to be ready. And he did something in your heart. The Bible talks about it being brought from from death to life. And he saved you. And your salvation is, is anchored in God. Therefore, circumstances can't take it. You can say, chop me up in a million pieces and feed me to the fish. You're not getting my soul because God saved my soul. I didn't save my soul. I didn't work for it. God did it. Macedonians were over there going, why are you here? Well, Paul says, I'll tell you a funny story. Had a vision. We were trying to just stop in Asia, 
and, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let us. And God sent this vision, and it made sense, and then God opened the doors, and here you are. We don't have to understand it. We can just say God says it about himself, and we're little people, so we take what God says and we accept it. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 talks about this. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of your works, lest any man should boast. How many gallons of communion wine have you drunk in the course of your life? And if you hit a certain level, does that automatically make you saved? No, because it's not about you. You're saved if God opens your heart and gives you the gifts of repentance and faith and saves you. And are you better than somebody who's not? No, because you didn't do anything for yourself. You were just there sinning like the rest. What I liked, though, and what helps me understand this is a little, you know, is how in 1 Peter 1 and 2, when Peter's writing a letter and he says, Peter, uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and then he includes the place Bithynia, where the Spirit wouldn't let them do any work. Ultimately, there were Christians there. God did some saving there. That's, that's good. Good to hear and good to know. According to the elect foreknowledge of God the Father and his sanctification, etc. I would only say to us, receive the salvation that God has given you humbly and say it's of God. And humble yourself and say, God is a great God. He loves me. He must really love me because he saved me. And then leave the deep things of God to God. But don't deny the doctrine of election that's in Scripture throughout. Just say, I'm a dummy. I can't explain it. Everybody who knows you will say, yeah, okay, gotcha, agree. It's okay. I wrote this. If you could figure out everything about God, if you could diagram God to the rest of us, if you could explain God's workings to us even better than God could, then what would that make you? It would make you God. Newsflash, you're not God. God is here. We understand what we can understand. Second problem in the text, quote-unquote problem, in our modern sensibilities, and I know we gotta, we'll, we'll, we'll fly through this, but what did the Macedonian mean when he said, come over and help us? Isn't it wrong? Isn't it racist to take your gospel into a, a beautiful culture and, and mess up their belief system and interfere with your Western, to take your gospel in there? Isn't that wrong? To go help people? Isn't it wrong to send missionaries? Let them believe what they believe. You believe what you believe. Live and let live. Don't mess people's culture. You almost think you're superior, right? If you have to go help somebody. Not true. According to the Bible. The interesting thing is is that here, nowadays we get criticized because we think Christianity is a Western religion. Uh, Europe to, not, to America to the rest of the world and its criticism. Here was the opposite. It came from there and went into Europe. Uh, God pings his gospel around all people and it doesn't matter what, where you were born or what your skin color is. 
all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the only answer for everybody everywhere who's ever been born is to repent of their sins and be helped by by Jesus taking their place on the cross. Their gods might have been cheap facsimiles of the true God or maybe their gods were more like the devil than God. But whatever their gods were in Macedonia, they had no saving power. And God says, go help as you were helped. Evangelism is this. One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's all it is. And you're not superior if you say, I know the truth and I'm going to share the truth with you. You're not a better person. You're not thinking you're better than somebody else. Don't hesitate to help everyone. They may refuse it, and that's their business. But there are some people who God has been preparing to receive that help, and you go help them. You get to be the person that the Spirit uses to bring them to Jesus. Wrapping it up. What does it mean for Christ the shepherd? Then we'll go to the table. One, make sure we're on staying point with the gospel and not corrupting it with the world's poison. Sent out all these things that our denomination is going to vote on at General Assembly to our elders. Didn't even, no comment except pray for our denomination. <laughs> um, you know, what happens? What creeps in? We get bored with the gospel or something? We got to be cool like everybody else, like all the cool kids? You're not going to be. Gospel, 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 stay with it. Reading this series of theological treatises, uh, D.A. Carson's a general editor. Uh, the Orland guy that we read, his dad wrote a thing on, on a spiritual harlotry and why God doesn't allow compromise in, in his bride. And he referenced Leviticus 20, verse 6, that says, If a person turns to mediums and spiritists, playing the harlot after them, I will set my face against that person. I will cut him off from among his people. And Orland said this about it. He said, To seek revelation beyond God's provision insinuates failure in him. It exposes a prying restlessness in a covenant people, and it subjects them to compromising guidance from degraded sources. The Israelites were going in to Canaan to be farmers. They'd never been farmers. They were good at laying bricks, lots of bricks, lots of lots, even more bricks, and then gathering the straw for the bricks. That's what they could do. That was their skill set. It had been handed down under duress, and they were going to be farmers. And they were going in there, and where all the farmers were in that fertile ground, all the Canaanites worshipped the fertility gods, and there was a lot of sexual fertility rites. Uh, there was the sacrifice of children so that God would provide. There were the Baals and the various Ashtaroth gods all over the place. And, and God says, not one bit. You're going to be tempted to say, I'm inadequate. I don't know how to be a farmer. So I'm going to look at these guys a little bit, and I'm going to look at their philosophy of God, and I'm going to maybe roll their God into my God and combine. And God says, no, one God. We can do this with our world. We can look and say, oh, I don't understand all this language, all these really smart people, all these talented, they're all saying this, they're saying this, they're saying this. And God says, don't compromise with them, not one bit. There's God and there's everything else. If you're God's people, be for God. Maybe what God does uh, get some admiration from these folks, or maybe it doesn't. Hold your ground. You don't change your philosophy of ministry if you're in a big city versus in the country. God's the same. 
and then finally be open to God's leading, working together to reach the ones the Holy Spirit is working in. We don't know what God's going to do in our church. How? We pray, we trust, we want good things, we see what God does, and we just do our best. I was thinking about, uh, thinking about that wonderful birthday party. I talked to Karini about that, about, about all the people that came from Christ the Shepherd, all the people, and then some of those folks knew the Lord, some of them, and I was like, oh man, I hope we can just be so loving and kind of hope we can make such a good impression, and maybe God's using us, and maybe that's the way we're going. Maybe English is a second language. Wow, maybe God's going to just reach out. Maybe, maybe we get to start a Spanish language church here because we've got so many Spanish speakers. Maybe we get to team up with another church and get, get that going here. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We don't know what God's doing. Be prepared to open to the Lord's leading. And that's, that's it. Quote, close with a Keith Green line. Do your best. Pray that it's blessed. He takes care of the rest. Do your best. Takes care of the rest. And that's God's leading. From Acts 16, that's God's leading for us. Uh, let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your table. Thank you for these visible uh, things that, that remind us of Jesus. Jesus' blood, Jesus' body, Jesus, everything about Jesus that, that we need to focus on and keep coming back to. In Jesus' name, amen.